we don't realize that we are the bouncer and the person with the list and the one putting up the velvet rope in the VIP section of our lives. If we don't take control of that, then just any person who feels entitled just can come in and plop down. Your third cousin is like, well, you should do it for me. We're family. You're like, should I though? Why? Like, I don't even like you. Hi, I'm Zoe. Hi, I'm Erica. Hey, Erica. This is our podcast. Well, what do we do on the podcast? Uh, we talk to wellness experts. Well, what do we talk about? Mm, wellness stuff. And why are we doing this? Because we want to have an inclusive conversation about things that you can actually use and apply to your life. Right. We don't think that wellness should feel preachy. We think it should feel like everybody can participate. That's right. So if you like what you hear, tell a friend. Give us five stars. They're do all free. All of the above. All of the above. And think of us as your navigators on the bumpy highway to well. Guess what else is not new? Talking about boundaries. <laughs> oh, talking about boundaries. Who's talking about boundaries? Because boundaries always seem to be pushed is why. Mm-hmm. 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 You had your lovely ladies at UPS pushing your boundaries. <laughs> oh yeah, they pushed my boundaries. <laughs> People send passive aggressive emails to us at work and push our boundaries. Sometimes we have passive aggressive conversations with our loved ones that push our boundaries. I wonder how often we push boundaries and just don't realize it. I'm sure oh, pretty often. I'm sure quite often. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure quite often. But Terry Cole, who's a psychotherapist and actually a licensed person to speak on the topic of boundaries, um, has a cool like, book. It's yeah. called Boundary Boss. And she's a cool chick. And I would not want to cross her and push her boundaries. Don't, don't touch her boundaries. <laughs> I mean, oh my God, this topic I feel like is so, it's just, I feel like it's coming up every time I turn around. Yeah, it's a bit uh, of a minefield. But. And you know why it is? I feel like maybe it's having this sort of like moment right now because of all of the fucking access that we have to everybody, whether it's, you know, obviously via technology. So it's like everyone is just like boundary fatigue because it's like, you know, you have access to me via text and I'm expected to respond in like two fucking seconds. And then like, if you send me an email, all of a sudden, like you've been, you're now in my space, you've invited yourself into my space and now I'm obligated to respond. It's just like all of these different access points because of technology have really like created some boundary cluster Fs. You know, um, well, and I think it's interesting that you know, in in the last year, we've only had boundaries, right? Yeah, obviously, Zoom, which we're on right now. Well, right, but I mean, like, we've only had physical boundaries. We've only had physical restraints because we can't go anywhere and we can't see people. So, in some ways, we've been like overwhelmed with boundaries, and then in other ways, we've completely shattered them. To your point, because we're like, okay, well, if I can't see you in person, then I'm going to hit you up and I'm going to LinkedIn and I'm going to chat you and I'm going to text you and I'm going to Zoom you. I'm going to do all of these other things to remind you that I am here and that I need attention yeah. and a response. I DM'd you and I texted you and I emailed you and I, I sent you a FaceTime. And it's just like, oh my good Lord. It used to just be as simple as like, I'm on the subway and you're a bit of a close talker. These are my boundary issues. <laughs> now, now it's just like, now it's like, or like, you know, I'm in person and maybe somebody put their hand on my shoulder while they were talking to me unnecessarily, <laughs> you know? And now it's like, oh, Never it's necessary. really, it's so much more present in a totally different way. Yeah. We don't fully realize. Anyway, we're going to let a licensed person. Yeah. Let's let Terry talk down. about it because she's going to give you some tools on how to actually combat these uh, boundary bastards. All right, Terry. Terry's going to talk. <laughs> okay. 
Hey guys. So you may have figured out by now that Zoe and I are huge fans of functional mushrooms. And that's because their benefits are legit from increasing focus and concentration to helping you sleep and probably most importantly, providing incredible support for your immune system. And yes, that is actual science. You can check it out on our blog at earthandstar.com. But who doesn't need a little bit of extra immune support right now if we're being honest? But anyway, the most important thing for you to know actually is that you have to have these fabulous fungi in your system every day in order to reap the benefits. So Earth and Star, our new brand, is making it as easy as possible for you to get the amazing benefits of functional mushrooms every day. Like if you've got a serious cold brew habit, there's a can for that. If you love your afternoon matcha latte, then we've got you covered there. And if you're not like G-Love and you're not feeling the cold beverages, then how about a totally delicious dark chocolate bar that also helps you increase focus and concentration while satisfying your sweet tooth. And it pairs super well with red wine. So we at Earth and Star have created as many ways as possible to help you elevate your everyday routine because we are not asking you to add another pill or a powder to your very busy schedule of supplements. We just want it to be as easy and absolutely delicious as possible for you to get some mush love into your life. So check us out at earthandstar.com and get 15% off your first order with the code HTW. We can officially start the conversation by welcoming you, Terry Cole. You've got an incredible book and practice and blog and business, and we want to hear all about it. And in your words, how can you heal my fucking suffering? (laughs) And how can you teach my husband some boundaries? (laughs) I definitely can do that. Okay, I can, Erica, I can potentially teach you how to lessen your fucking suffering. That is possible. I don't think I can actually cure it, but I have lots of good ideas of what you can do. Lay it on me. And it probably has to do with the same boundaries that Zoe's trying to set. So let's go. You know, listen, why, why boundaries, right? Why boundaries and why now? Why does it matter? Why are people struggling with this? When you think about the way that as women, we're socialized, how we're raised, Nobody knows how to do this because not only did nobody teach us, because it's actually a language. Think about becoming literate in boundaries, like becoming fluent in Mandarin. Now, you wouldn't be like, I really hope I wake up tomorrow fluent in Mandarin. You know, you're like, oh, look, I no one ever taught me Mandarin. I need to learn Mandarin step by step, one small shift at a time. And that's exactly what it is in this process of becoming a boundary boss. But I find that over the last 25 years, so many of my clients would feel bad. Like, why don't I know? I'm just weak. How did I end up in the same crappy relationship again and again? And I'm like, here's the thing. How could you know what no one ever taught you? And the good news is you for shit sure can learn, right? You can definitely learn. I'm teaching people all over the globe to do it. But I think we almost have to start with the, there's lots of good reasons why we don't know how to do this. And we were raised and praised, really, for being self-sacrifice and codependence. Come on. With niceness being the the highest virtue imaginable for women. Mm -hmm. But is it really? No. That's what I'm saying, Zoe. I just say, F that. It's not true, first of all. Because the niceness that most of us were taught, it was like, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. You know, be a good girl. Turn that frown around. And so we were 
habituated out of our boundaries or knowing what they were or being able to even express our, because really what are boundaries? If we, if we say, what are they? Because I think that there is so many myths about what they are. It's literally letting the people in your life know what's okay with you and what's not okay with you. So that's a Brene Brown, super simple explanation. I say boundaries are your ability to express and clearly communicate your preferences, your desires, your limits, and your deal breakers. And this has to do with all the categories of boundaries, which are emotional boundaries, sexual boundaries, physical boundaries, mental boundaries, material boundaries, right? So there's a bunch of categories. But when you think about what it really is, because the myths that people have about it is that if I become a boundary boss, then I have to be a bitch. I have to be mean. I'm confronting people. I have to be hard. I'm rejecting people. And none of that is true because the same way you can do anything when you're a boss, when, you're, when you master it with kindness, with ease and grace, that's the same thing with your boundaries. So that, that's sort of the beginning of what are boundaries, why we don't know anything about how to deal with them. And that's the beginning of the boundary boss journey. So what else are we talking about? <laughs> well, I mean, I guess, I don't know. It's like when I think about people who have a hard time with boundaries, hard time telling people what they, you know, just saying no, generally, those are typically like people pleasers, people who constantly are seeking, you know, um, approval from others. Mm-hmm. I mean, can those two things be separated? Is that always the same? Is that always the same trait? Does that always go hand in hand? Well, here's the thing. All of us, to a degree, have the disease to please because it really is the way that we were raised. How we relate to what we learned, that determines whether you are like a full-blown codependent, where you are constantly sort of looking outside of yourself for validation, really approval-seeking behavior. So someone who says yes when they want to say no, which is many of us. And you don't have to be a boundary disaster to say yes when you want to say no, right? Because there could be certain circumstances. And listen, obviously there's certain circumstances we say yes when we'd rather say no because we love the person, because it matters to them. But making that a conscious choice, there's nothing wrong with saying yes to something when your friend gives you the context and you go, oh, you need a wingman, you need a girl, you need one, you need a, you want me to come with you because of this. So it isn't about whether I want to go to the outside concert. It's about you're saying, but would you come with me? I know it's not your thing, but I really, I'm not comfortable with these people and I would love it if you would come and do me a favor. You can say yes to that because you're saying yes to your friend. So I think that, you know, there's one thing about looking at situations and mindfully choosing And then what we're talking about when the boundaries are really disordered is we're talking about the auto yes, where your immediate response, your reaction, right? You don't have enough space to have it be a response. It's a reaction. And then what happens if we're always reacting with yes or auto or insta yesing? A lot of times you won't follow through with that because like you really didn't want to do it from the beginning. So you kind of become someone where people are like, well, maybe she's kind of flaky, 50% chance that she's going to actually do what she says she's going to do, which is not great for relationships because there's not a lot of trust. 
built there. And when we really think about saying yes, when we want to say no, like the, the desire is to be nice. We're lovers. We want to, you know, we want to show up for the people in our lives. But what really happens if you continually say yes, when you want to say no, under the guise of being nice, like, let's really break it down. Is that being nice? Right. Uh, no, <laughs> it, it, it actually isn't. It's, we want to be perceived as nice. Yeah. And I'm really just a horrible person underneath. It's just like, I, I can sit in hell. I say, I, I have to say, like, I live with a wonderful husband who has, I can, I don't think he'd get upset that I'm saying this. He has some boundary issues. And like, because, you know, by proximity, like, I feel like I've been sucked up into this kind of, oh habit of constantly Erica you know there's like there's never a moment where there are you know aren't like 10 people in my house it's just like the con- the door is constantly open and I tell my friends listening this isn't me saying I don't want to have you over but there 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 is this like cl- there is a recurring clash that we always sort of like we butt heads on this subject all the time whether it's in like a work context or in like a social context, like I have no problem saying like, no, I mean, 90% of the time I'm pretty comfortable just being like, no, not today. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's almost like he can't, um, it's so ingrained in him. Like he's, it, it's almost impossible for him to not like say yes to every single thing. I'm having a hard time making peace with that. I'm trying. Um, I feel you. And I think we probably are married to maybe the same person. Oh. So that, it, the, the struggle with that is that it kicked up so much of my codependency that I've worked so many years to keep under control. But it's a discipline. I'm sorry. If you are naturally a codependent and a fixer and a bridger and a swisher, I work to not be overly invested in the decisions and the lives and the circumstances and the feeling states of the people that I love to not automatically fix and think it's on me, right? So when you, a long-term, I mean, my husband and I have been together 24 years, like a long-term love relationship where you see your partner doesn't have the greatest of boundaries. I remember coming into my marriage when we were just dating and I was literally assessing the people in my husband's life. And I was like, I fucking hate all of them, pretty much. Not all, but a lot. And I was like, those users, opportunists, like taking advantage of his kind Pisces heart, like, no. And so I did come in and was a little bit like, okay, we're going to reassess. We can reassess my relationships too. But here's the thing. We don't need to twist ourselves up in a pretzel and light ourselves on fire all the fucking time for people we don't and people don't respect it so my, my feeling is this I can just tell you what I did Zoe that, that's all I can tell you is that I got healthy enough to be a lot less codependently attached to my husband and I have a lot of control about and listen we live in the middle of nowhere so we wouldn't have a lot of people in and out simply because we live too far away from everyone but there are things where you have to have the agreement like before you commit us to this, I'd like to make a simple request that we talk about it. I am less social than you, babe. I'm sure you do. You're like, I've said that already. Yeah, I've done it. But if it doesn't happen, so, so this is actually a perfect example of how do we set, in the book I teach you how to set 
proactive boundaries. So we look at the people with established relationships. We look at the people and we go, okay, I know the strengths of this person. I know the less than strengths of this person, right? I know our recurring conflicts. I know when I've said things to them before, what has happened. So we take all of the data points of like, huh, what, what has happened in this relationship before? That helps us figure out how we're going to approach the boundary request. So if the person agrees, because here's the thing, you can make this simple request like, hey, babe, I'd like to make a simple request that we agree, like at the top of the week, we agree. And if you want to be spontaneous, you know, as to how many people are going to be in and out of the house. And if you want to be spontaneous, that you give me the heads up, like I may not want to be spontaneous and I want to have the right to protect my inner sanctum. Like we're all different. What we need is different. Anyway, let's say that your person or some person says, um, okay, I'll agree to that. And then they don't follow through because that's a big question. People say, well, what, what happens when I draw boundaries or express a boundary request? The person agrees to it and then they don't follow through. Well, you have to then, there has to be some kind of consequence. So, and I don't mean it like that sounds terrible. Like, oh my God, we have to berate the person. No, it, you have, there has to be a point like, hey, well, we talked about this last week. You said you would do it. You didn't do it. But the next time it happens, when the people come, I may have need to ask them to leave. Like, or whatever. I mean, I don't know what it would be in anyone else's life. I just know having a real conversation the first time, because it takes more than one time. When you have an established dance in a relationship, right? It's going to take a minute, just like changing our own behavior takes repetition and thought and intention. So one thing I really work on doing is if I'm trying to change the boundary dance in my long-term relationship, I am completely prepared that it's going to take a couple of requests. And so I try not to go, if he forgets it the second time or third time, uh, in the beginning, when I was still moving out of boundary disaster into at least having some skills, like more in my 30s, it would be so personal. I'd be like, he doesn't give a crap. He's just a self-absorbed idiot. He's just, I can't believe it. Like it was so hard to make the request for me at that time that I was like, whew, well, that's over. Just doing that one time and never again. And then the realization, of course, through my own therapeutic process is like, uh, that's not the way people change or how relationships transform. So I think getting your, yourself in you know, your own mind of what you're A, going to have to do it more than once. But the real conversations are, I don't want to keep having this same conflict with you. Because what happens when we have polarization in relationships where you're like, are you kidding me? My husband and I used to fight about that every time we would go food shopping, it didn't matter how much crap we already had on the conveyor belt. It's moving, it's going. We're getting to the point where we're checking out. He'd be like, I don't have my, my bag with me. He'd be like, I'll be right back. Where are you going? And he's always going to get the same shit we don't need. It's always the same thing. It's always some expensive Italian olive oil, where I was like, hi, we have like 44 bot. I don't even get it. Like it's some compulsive word shit. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in the beginning, I was like, so stressed because now you're getting to the end. People are behind you. He's got the card. Like I'm like, we're done. Um, I can't check out. because anyway. So a bunch of different bites where I'd be like, are you like nuts? Like, I don't understand what's happening. I'd be judging him. I don't, then I just decided, oh, there's an easy fix bring your own frigging card. Just check out. If he wants to get back online, you'll meet him in the car. Like I 
there were some things where I just decided I would accept. And these are smaller things, right? Just leaving the wet sponge in the thing. Like why, why, why the wet sponge? It's disgusting. It's dirty. It's a, it's, there's germs on there. And after years, like five years, probably of just being like, babe, just squeeze out the sponge and put it in the thing so it can dry. I was like, literally never having that conversation again. So I just started throwing out sponges. I got the recyclable kinds. I just was like, it's not worth it. I'm not using a dirty sponge. I don't need to teach him about cleanliness. He's the cleanest person I've ever met. This is just a weird thing. He's just got to skip in the record here. And if it doesn't bother him, I don't want to fight about a sponge or about being left online. So when it comes to long-term things, we have to compromise. But the bottom line is what, what I'm sensing from what you were sharing about it is that there's a feeling. Like the, the feeling that I had with my husband is that he was saying yes to things simply because he couldn't say no. And if, he, if, it, if I had a feeling that he was saying yes to things because he couldn't wait to do them, even if I didn't want to do them, I would have a different feeling mm-hmm. about those things. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that, that's just my armchair speculation on what might be happening there. Because when you are in a relationship with someone, anyone who has two porous boundaries, which is what we're really talking about to a degree, it's, and you don't, or you have your own in a different way, it's like we sense the dysfunction within us. And again, sorry, I'm not even talking about your husband. I'm talking about anybody yeah. who, right? Because we're, we're, we're long past that story, but the, you sense what's happening. And I would say to my husband, like, so you're going to drive all the way to Rikers Island. You're going to, or whatever, whatever he said yes to doing. And it would be a conflict between us, three hours one way to New York City from where we live because he couldn't, didn't want to disappoint this person. I'm like, I don't know, you're driving seven hours in a day is disappointing to me because you're not 25 and it's, you're driving at night. And so we started meeting in the middle, but it required, because that's also a boundary. Like he's a grown man, right? I can say, hey, I can't stop you. I want to tell you my concern and I would like it to matter to you. I don't want you driving so late. You know what I mean? Yeah, this, I mean, obviously this resonates so much with, I'm sure with Zoe, with me as well. I'm taking all these notes because I feel like there's so many different directions I want to go with this. But mm-hmm. what you're saying last is something, you know, I, I would really like to ask you about, but I also definitely want to get into the tactical pieces that you mentioned at the beginning in terms of like, you don't wake up speaking Mandarin the next day. And I, I want to understand what these actual like digestible steps are. But before we go there, what you were just talking about has to do with setting boundaries on other people's stuff, mm-hmm. right? And I feel like that's something I definitely um, tend to do is like just what you were saying. Like, you know, the, the, the supermarket example is actually very good because I see my husband have, you know, issues with his own boundaries that I kind of observe. And I'm like, that's not, that's not going to work. But like, how much of a right do, I mean, I know I don't really have the right to point out his stuff and say, uh-uh-uh, so much as just figuring out how I'm going to kind of choreograph myself around it. And by the way, it's not to say I don't have my own issues with boundaries, but in general, I feel like maybe mine are sometimes too strong and I mm-hmm. am suggested to be, you know, a little resistant, I think is a word that has been used. Um, so, you know... Just putting all that out there, but... Uh, right, well, let's talk about what you're really asking though, Erica, is like, what's the difference between 
the, the boundaries that we have a right to draw for ourselves and using boundaries as a control lever or mechanism in our relationships because we want to change the outcomes or the behaviors of someone else. <laughs> so most of the time, now marriage is a bit different, like a commitment like marriage, because we do have to coexist and we hope that our partner's concern is concerning to us as well, right? But in life, you need to figure out, and I teach this in the book, what is your side of the street? What is someone else's side of the street? And most of the time, many of us who are high-functioning codependents, I call it, it's like this new moniker I made up because my clients didn't identify with being codependent. They were like, what are you, crazy? Everyone comes to me. Like, I'm the one. They're all dependent on me. I'm not dependent on them. I'm like, right, but that's not really the definition of codependency, right? Codependency is being overly invested in the feeling states, outcomes, circumstances, decisions of the people in your life to the detriment of your internal peace, to the detriment of your life in some way. So that's my definition of codependency. But my clientele were like you people, super high functioning. So they could kind of do it all and be over-functioning for this one over here and making something happen for this one over here. Yes, at the expense of themselves. So it's a little bit like they talk about, you know, Ginger Rogers doing everything Fred Astaire did, except doing it backwards and in heels. Mm -hmm. My clientele and the women in my crew are very much, are so capable that people don't look at them as needy, but we do have to look at what drives this behavior to want to control others. So bringing it all back to how do you know what is your stuff? I think that I have this boundary bill of rights that is right in the front of the book. And there's only 10 of them. And I feel like if I quickly go through them, this really clarifies what, I, listen, I mean, what I think you, your, your boundary stuff is about. So can we do that? And then we'll move into the steps. Yeah. Yeah. That's All right. So you have, the, you have the right to say no or yes to others without feeling guilty. You have the right to make mistakes, to course correct, or to change your mind. Do I find a lot of my clients feel like, Every decision carries the weight of a life sentence if you don't allow yourself to change your mind, you know? Um, well, you have the right to... Go ahead. I said it makes you look weak, right? You made, you're like all over the place. You're a flaky female. You can't stay focused. You know, one minute you're saying this is your decision, the next minute you're changing your mind. It's very interesting how that's like so, so much harder for women. And it is. The sort of like the flakiness stamp or the unfocused stamp gets applied so much faster to women than it does to men on that specific point. Anyway, that's with no, without a doubt. And what I, I want to follow up quickly with that and say, one of the biggest boundary blocks I see for women is this concern about if I assert my different opinion or my desire or my preference, just my preference, people are going to say, I'm bossy. I'm a bitch. I'm a drama queen. I'm a shrew. I must be on the rag. Like, think of all the shitty things that are said about a woman who asserts herself in kind of any way. So those are the myths that keep women down and not giving themselves permission to change their mind, you know? Okay, you have the right to negotiate for your preferences, your desires, and your needs. You have the right to express and honor all of your feelings if you so choose. So that one is also important because I've had a lot of women be like, well, when should I tell this person, you know, how I feel about this or, or information about yourself? 
right? Do, do I need to tell them, I'm dating this person. When should I tell them about what happened in my childhood? I'm like, how about never if you don't want to? Like, how about you don't need to ever? Like, why are you acting like you need to confess to some guy you met on like Tinder four minutes ago? But it's this feeling of being broken, right? And like, I need to, but that is a boundary dysfunction. Sharing too much information about yourself too soon. Wanting instant intimacy. That is a boundary dysfunction. <laughs> okay. You have the right to voice your opinion, even if others disagree. Uh, you have the right to be treated with respect, consideration, and care. You have the right to determine who has the privilege of being in your life. And this is a really important one because if we don't realize that we are the bouncer and the person with the list and the one putting up the velvet rope in the VIP section of our lives, if we don't take control of that, then just any person who feels entitled just can come in and plop down. Your third cousin is like, well, you should do it for me. We're family. You're like, should I though? Why? Like, I don't even like you. Like, really? Is, is blood the reason I should do it? But a lot of us feel like if we are discerning in that way, that we're being mean. Yeah. You know, you just don't want a bunch of randos in your VIP section, which is exactly what you end up with if you don't do it. <laughs> um, you have the right to communicate your boundaries, limits, and deal breakers, because we all have them. You have the right to prioritize your self-care without feeling selfish. You have a right to talk true, be seen, and live free. Oh, let's go back to, to the, the one about being selfish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because this is like, oh, this is such a hard one, I think, for everybody, right? I mean, again, women, probably more difficult for, for women. But yes, again, it's so challenging. Why is it so challenging? Like, why? What is the big deal about saying like, no, you can't have my evening or no, you can't take my time because I need to go like stare at the wall and do nothing. For right. do you, Zoe, do you feel that way more as it pertains to whether you're being a good friend slash partner slash wife or whether you're being a good mom? Because I feel like there's a lot of guilt and shame, I think, associated with women wanting, you know, that example that you just gave, like, I need to go stare at the wall. I need to go get a manicure. I need to go just have my time. And I'm not even going to explain to you what's in that 45 minute block. It's just mine. But I feel like women who do that, in my view, and I don't have children, I don't have the same experience, but I'm just curious for you, does it register the same as a mom versus as a person, friend, partner or different? No, for me, it's the same. I have, I think I give my children enough of my time. (laughs) No, I I definitely, uh, no, because it's even before children. I feel like it's always been a thing where it's like, Oh, but you have time. Like, why would you put yourself first? Like, why are you the first person in line to, 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 to take that time? Like, maybe you should call that person you haven't talked to in a long time. Who's like waiting to hear from you. Maybe you should go meet up with like whoever, because like you haven't seen them in so long and they think you're neglecting them or like, you know, this is definitely, I would say it's even more, uh, non-child specific because my, my children are covered, man. They go to school. They've got a million activities. Like I give them enough of my time. They've got like two parents and a and a babysitter. Like they're good. Yep. Like they don't need any more of anyone's time, quite frankly. <laughs> but like, uh, but when it comes to like, I think it's more specific with like friends, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think my husband is probably next on that list. Mm-hmm. And then probably my 
well, let's see, friends and family. No, probably mm. here's, here's how to, I'd rank it. Friends. I take up a lot of your time. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need any more of my time either. Friends, uh, family, spouse, and I would say children and my dog are probably the same at this point because they both get a lot of love. Yep, that's fair. But the back to your question though, Zoe, is like, why? Why, why do we feel like self-care is selfish? So we'll look at the models of behavior, the things that we learned about what it means to be a good human, a good woman in particular, because it's not just being a good human. Women are supposed to be, and this is like, this is unconscious stuff. This is in, this is the collective consciousness that tells us women are supposed to be selfless, right? People are like, oh, she'd give you the shirt off her back. Well, then she's going to be cold because that makes no sense to anyone. You know, people who say that, like, it's a good thing. I'm like, oh, you mean she's a boundary disaster? Okay. Like, so think about it from the point of view of if you are very self-sacrificing, society says you're worthy, you're amazing. And even if we consciously reject that and go, I know that that's crap, there is a part of us that we've been indoctrinated into this. And there's a lot of things. And what we do in the book is we go... A lot of the work that we do is going into the basement of your mind, which is your unconscious mind. So picture me with like a miner's light holding your hand. We're going down and we're going to find the boxes of information and limiting beliefs and why you are, you personally, each one of you and me, everyone listening, are the way you are when it comes to boundaries. Has to do with, yes, the greater society, but really has to do with modeled behavior in the family that you grew up in, where you grew up, country, culture, how close your family was, what were the um, silent agreements within your family of origin system? All of these things create what I call your downloaded boundary blueprint. And this is an unconscious paradigm of the way that you relate to boundaries, what you think is a good way of relating, the correct way of relating. And so basically what we're doing throughout the book is we're bringing all that information that so much of it is actually unconscious. We don't know it until someone asks you the question that makes you go, huh, yeah, my mother did say yes when she wanted to say no all the time. And then she was really bitter about it. And then she complained about it and said that how selfish Betty was that she kept asking her to do things when really she could have said no, she just didn't. Obviously she couldn't, but you know what I mean? So, so those are the, the ways that y- your boundary blueprint came to be each one of you, but think about women as martyrs, right? Like we will do it all. We are the lovers, the assuagers, the connectors in society. And what ends up happening is if you don't prioritize self-care, you know, that's like a one-way ticket to Bitterland because there's no other stop on that train. You can only do it for so long. You're not doing it out of equanimity and love and choice. If you're compulsively giving, And even if people are grateful, they'll never be grateful enough because in those circumstances, we're looking for others to fulfill this part of you that only self-love and self-care, that bucket is, can only be filled by you. So, you know, when people are like, if I just find the right person, then everything's going to fall into place. I'm like, you have to become the right person for you. It's all about your relationship to yourself. And what are you? allowing in your life? What are you inviting into your life? So anyway, that was a long way around the barn. I don't even know if I answered the question. No, I mean, I think that that's right. I just 
I was just thinking again, sorry, let me just bring it back to my husband again. Um, in this episode of Christopher, I want to say his last name. Um, <laughs> no, it just, it's, it, you know, I, I'm trying to like separate how much of this is truly just your personality and it's actually healthy for this type of personality and how much of it is like, first, you know, to your point, getting to know yourself first, right? Like you have to understand yourself, how you operate, what makes you happy or not. I would say that my, so the things in this realm, the sort of the constant giving of like your time and your attention and your energy, whether it's like socially, whether it's, uh, you know, career wise, mentoring somewhat, whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, for his specific, for his personality, um, it, it, he thrives on that. It makes him, mm-hmm. it gives him a ton of energy. It does not deplete him in the same way that it would deplete me. He, I would be so happy just being by myself like, for hours, days, weeks on end. Um, mm-hmm. And I think he would absolutely go out of his mind. So again, and then thinking to your point, Erica, it's like, how, how do you know, like, I can't apply my set of boundaries or how I think about boundaries for myself onto someone else. And for him, Correct. it's a different set of, um, of well, it's just a different blueprint, right? I mean, he's a different, obviously. Yep. Well, is it almost, I mean, not to bring in a completely different sort of school of thought and modality, but it reminds me of this whole concept of love languages, right? Which is like, whatever, however you express yourself and express your love is not necessarily how your partner expresses themselves and their love. So you have to learn who's speaking which language and then figure out what the commonality is in between, which is just impossible as far as I can see. It's just fucking hard. I actually think that's a really good analogy, though, for what we're talking about. And, you know, Zoe, back to the boundary thing, what we care about and what you had asked about poor Erica about, like, so where is it about control? Where is it about, you know, I'm trying to make them be different. It's like looking at your person, how they deal with their life, how they deal with what's happening for them is their side of the street. Where it comes over is in the common life. Right. And I remember having this thing with my husband. He had a really bad thing happen because he was never great with, you know, he would like take jobs. I'd be like, how much money are they paying? He's like, don't take care of me. I'm like, they would take care of you way better if you negotiated because I used to be a talent agent. I was like, who takes a job without knowing what the hell it's paying? He's like, it's great. They're Sports Illustrated. They'll take care of me. I was like, (laughs) anyway, so I had to learn to just be like, whatever. He was way successful before he met you. He doesn't need you to manage his life, but it made me crazy. But there was a situation where someone had embezzled a bunch of money from him, someone who he knew well, who we knew well, had been, it was the whole thing. And I was losing my crap. And I was literally like calling a fucking lawyer. I was like, we're going to get a lawyer. We're going to sue her. We're going to, can we just see her? We're going to punch her in the face the next time I see her. Like, so mad. And then finally, my, my very mellow husband was like, I realized my therapist was like, I promise you, you're not helping him. I, I promise you the way you're responding is definitely making it worse. I was like, okay, well. Um, so I was like, hey, babe, let me ask you something. How can I best support you in this situation? And he was like, you can have faith that I'll get it done. And I'll get it done my way. And it's not going to look like the way you'd get it done. I was like, oh, okay. I have faith you'll get it done. And he did. Got all the money back. Got all the money back. And no lawyers. 
and no. And, you know, I was saying to him later on, because he doesn't want to have, he didn't even want to be mad at this person, really. He's, he didn't want to. Like, my ego is such an Aries little ego of like, they're dead to me. Like, mm, I can't wait to know, see them in public and whatever. He was like, Tara, listen, we travel in the same circles. She had a bad rap. Something happened. She, you know, she was compromised, was drinking too much. Someone had died. Like, just why be so judgmental? If, if I handle the situation, I get restitution. That's what it's about, right? And I said to him later at one point, I was like, babe, what's the deal with your relationship with this person, you know? And he's like, Tara, listen, in some ways, she reminded me of my mom. I could never kick someone while they were down in that way. I just couldn't. I wouldn't want to. So maybe we're different. And I was like, oh my God, I'm a terrible person. As I always said before, I was like, I'm just an awful human being. But his way of handling it was his way. And so I do think it's important that we, as, as in a couple situation, you have to go, okay, well, if we have young children, what you do impacts, right? So if, if my husband goes into war zones and draws things, right? He's an on-the-spot journalist, basically. You know, that's, I, I met him after there were no young children. So it's, you know, even though the, my kids were like, why, how, why are you letting dad go into like Iraq? Like, I'm like, hi, what do you think? I'm dad's mom. Like, I don't own dad. I can't stop dad from doing that. It's what he wants to do. But if we had, if I had an infant, I don't know that I would be like, it's cool. We're each on our own journey. Go do your thing. It would be a different conversation at that time, right? Mm -hmm. So anyway, bringing it all back around to how do we know what is our side of the street? It's knowing what impacts you and that you have a right to make a request, but you have to be willing to negotiate in long-term relationships for sure. And then you have to know your deal breakers. Right, the things where you go, nope, this is a definite no for me, and I'm whatever. I'll let the chips fall where they may. And I think that so much of the time, people, women in particular, are afraid to give an ultimatum, and people don't even have to understand it. Right, you just have to know what it is for you, and you have to communicate it in your relationships. So, how do you actually know? I mean, I, I, I agree, and it makes total sense to know where your deal breakers lie, but. How do you get certainty with yourself that that is a reasonable threshold if, you know, if, for example, it doesn't make sense to the other person, but regardless of what the other person thinks, like, I mean, I know you are your own moral compass, but like, I don't know, how do you, how, how can you make sure that you're not, you know, being short-sighted about something or allowing, you know, way too far a boundary to like... You know what I mean? What is that system of of checks and balances within yourself? Well, part of it is you have to really know yourself. And we do all of this work. We do all of this um, excavating, but also all of these inventories in the book where it's like every, every chapter has a section back to you where you're actually doing it along with me. Like what is working and what is not working in your life? Every single part of your life we look at from like, do you like the lighting in your office or no? Like, Everything, the big things and the small things, the way you communicate, the emotional labor in your home and your family, the all of it. Because you're starting with a clear idea of these things need my attention. These things I feel like are good. These things are happening. So you know at least where to put your energy. So part of it is you will see, you'll have repeating 
issues in your life? I mean, can you think of any things that get on your nerves? Being in a um, (laughs) you said no, no patterns in my life. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. But everyone has them, and so this is an opportunity. It's just the universe giving you another opportunity to draw the boundary. So we look at repeating patterns in relationships, repeating patterns in boundaries. And what you want to know, to to be able to answer your question, Eric, I'm trying to be precise. How you know whether what you're asking for, whether what you want is okay, before you even make that request, is that you look at your that you look in your basement and you, you look at your side of the street to make it make sure it's clean. So if you have a reaction to something that you're like, huh, I feel like this reaction is like way hot for what actually happened or it happened very quickly where I just got enraged really fast. Well, that's usually an indication that you're having a transference of some kind. So in the book, I give you this really simple tool that you can use. It's just the three cues for clarity, I call it. So it's these three questions that you ask yourself in any situation where you feel that, where you go, okay, right now, who does this person remind me of? All right, I'm thinking about that. Where have I felt like this before? And how or why is this behavioral dynamic, the way I'm interacting with them, how is that familiar to me? Have I been in it before? Did I see my parents interact this way or my parental impactors or whoever in your life? And what you get from this, this information, because you can also ask another, like a fourth question I add is, when I'm in this sort of this stalemate or this conflict with this person, this repeated conflict, who do I become? And who do they become? You know, metaphorically. Mm -hmm. So you may become your 10-year-old self and they may become your punitive parent. Does that make sense? Totally. (laughs) It makes total sense. So what do we do with this information? We go, well, now let me relook at that situation where I thought this person was a total boundary destroyer or a boundary bully and go, hmm, from the perspective of now that I know I was really hot because what really needs my attention is that old injury, right? The thing I never dealt with in the basement from my father, my mother, whomever. When we start cleaning that up, we're way less reactive and you have much more clarity about what you're asking for. Does that make sense? Yeah, completely. I mean, is anybody anybody immune to this experience? And I, you know, we started off talking about, well, before we even kind of came here, I I know you do a lot of work in, in, in this field in general with all types of relationships and setting boundaries in the workplace, which, you know, is in many ways very different than setting them, you know, in a personal relationship and probably in some ways that overlaps. Um, But Mm -hmm. like, is anybody, does anybody not have boundary issues? No, (laughs) they they, they mostly don't because here's the thing. I mean, listen, there's like, I actually created a boundary quiz so, so people could see like what flavor of boundary dysfunction do you have, right? Because you would maybe identify- I have no boundaries with peanut butter. That's my flavor. (laughs) (laughs) That's your flavor. (laughs) <laughs> but so let's say you're probably like the ice queen. So you're someone or the, or the powerhouse, which is someone who, you know, you, you believe in your ideas. And like, if other people are like, I don't want to do it that way. You're like, cool, I'll still do it this way. Like, I still think that my way is the way to do it. Like, 
I can look at both of you and think like, what would be your thing? So look at the, the categories. So, and if people listening want to go, it's just boundaryquiz.com. Literally, you can go and take it. So there's like six um, styles. You could be the pushover. I don't really think you're that. You could be the chameleon. Definitely going to say no on that. You could be the, um, the peacekeeper. You know, and a lot of us have a secondary style where if you are an empath or a highly sensitive person, you could be really, yeah, I, could, I totally knew it, Erica. You could be really <laughs> dialed into what's happening around you. you. You really would like to not have there be conflict, not only that you're involved with, you definitely don't want that, but then you also would like there not to be conflict in your zone as well. That's kind of more of the peacekeeper. And so there's 13 questions in this quiz because I just went through like, what are the actual styles and created it a couple of years ago, but it just came out with it. Now it came out with, you know, along with the, the book launch. And that's something that people can get a baseline of when your boundaries are out of balance, this might be your behavior. And you answer those questions and that gives us insight. So is anyone immune to boundary dysfunction? Of course not, because that's like saying like, are, is anyone their best ever, every day of their life? And most people don't do this work. Most people, I mean, the whole reason I wrote a book and I wanted it to be a book and a workbook, basically like the, the whole guide where you literally, everything you need to do this is in this book. Because I don't need to sell you something else. Like it's literally in there. They were, they were like, do a workbook. I was like, no, we're <laughs> going to put it in the thing. Nobody wants a workbook. They don't. More things to do, more shit to fill out. Nobody wants it. Let's have it in one place, one stop shopping. So in the moment, you're reading it and you're doing it because it's about your level of mastery over yourself. And it's not about, you know how, you know, Deepak talks about like, you know, know, people, illumination and evolving. But because I'm a mental health expert, I'm all about you becoming an expert on yourself. And there's nothing wrong with you if you're not in pain in any place. So if someone is listening to this and is like, I love overfunctioning for people. I want to do more than my share all the time and I really like it. Then the truth is, I honestly say I'm not being sarcastic, I swear to God. Then there's no problem. There is only a problem. Like nobody died and made me the God of how other people should be. There's only a problem if you go, this is causing me pain or this causes me frustration, or I feel a lack of satisfaction in this part of my life, whether it's level of success, the amount of money you're making, how well you're communicating, if you feel seen or known, then I promise you there's a boundary issue there that you can work on, transform, and up-level that experience to something better. But it really isn't, you know, so, so to answer your question, not everyone has perfect boundaries, but what you care about is this is for you if there's a part of your life where you feel like you are not fully self-expressed or you're not communicating accurately. You're not being honest. The people in your life don't know you. You're frustrated with your friendships. You feel empty in your life. Then this is for you. Mm -hmm. And then how hard is it for people to actually admit that to themselves? Mm -hmm. What's interesting though is people will be drawn to the work. Like I can see from having a public platform like, what are the things that I talk about that go viral? Like people are just like, oh my God. I had something, this happened like about a year ago is something, I just made up this thing about auto-accommodating, it was called. 
because I realized how much I was still being an auto accommodator in life. Like, why am I? So what, what, what does this mean? Can you imagine what an auto accommodator is? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Eric is like, I yes, one. I can. I <laughs> of course you are. Yeah. I was in the, I was in the um, hair salon and they're busy as hell it's in, in the city. And I'm literally counting. I'm literally counting the um, sinks and how many people are waiting. And I'm, I have something on my hair where I'm sitting and I'm going to be there for seven minutes. So I'm like, oh, hey, you know, I'm happy to move to another chair. Like if you need the sink and the chick's like, yeah, we, we got it. We're good. Okay. And I sat in that sink and I was like, you could be here meditating, resting, restoring, but instead you're trying to micromanage the sink flow in your hair salon. Yeah. What? I would when it's totally under control and not your problem in the first place, you are like, much more concerned to make sure everyone else is comfortable. But what's so funny is the girl wasn't even grateful. She was like, uh, we're good, but whatever, like moving on, like, why are you even saying that? Yeah. And then I did, I did a whole blog about auto accommodating and people were like, I think it had 130,000 downloads. It, like, it was crazy how much people identified yeah. with that. And that is an internal boundary issue. It's how I relate to myself. And so how you relate to yourself are your internal boundaries. If you fall down on yourself, if you say tomorrow, I'm going to work out, you don't. If you say, I'm going to get up early and meditate, and then you keep not doing those things, or say you're going to stop drinking or not drink during the week, all of that stuff. And we hit that in the book as well, like internal boundaries. And how do we strengthen those things so that we are actually valuing ourselves as much as we value other people? Yeah, we don't need to go there yet. Um, So... (laughs) Still pandemic life, forget it. Exactly. <laughs> um, talk to me in 2022. We can get deeper. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> okay. So when I think about, so you're talking about auto accommodating people, that um, the auto accommodator, I feel like I definitely fall into that. Definitely fall into that category. What do you think about the personality that is always sort of like, um, that is very immediately like disarming? Like, what do you think about this? It's very vague, but like, is that a form of like, do you know this, this personality I'm talking about? They kind of uh-huh. just like, they're, they just, when you meet them, they're so disarming and it's such like an intentional thing. It's like they, they sort of, you know, arms wide open, sort of like shrink themselves. Like there's nothing, uh, they make it so that you feel obviously very, like there's, there won't be anything um, off-putting about you, right? Like, you would hate to be perceived as anything other than open and warm and friendly and like all the rest. It's like almost like really over the top. Healthy or not healthy? Well, it depends on if that person is like an emotional predator or not. So some people are actually naturally just in their own way, captivating, open, not defended, warm, physically affectionate. I mean, not in this day and age, but you know what I mean? Like, like you said, arms wide open. If there is an ulterior motive and if that person then ends up being some kind of a predator or some kind of a, they then cash in on the way that they've made you feel safe. So I say, watch what happens next. Because if the person is genuine, they'll be the same the next time you meet with them. And then they won't be asking you for something three days later. 
they won't be reminding you of what a wonderful time you had when they then ask you to invest in their venture capital, whatever. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I think that, I do believe that there are people who have these disarming personalities. And, And it's funny, I was smiling because I'm definitely one of those people, not, I don't, I'm not a predator. I'm really not. But who people will say, I feel like I've known you forever. I'm so comfortable. I I feel like you're down to earth. I feel like you're trustworthy. I feel, you know, and I am those things. But I also know that emotional predators and boundary destroyers, as I call them in the book, I have a whole chapter on boundary destroyers, which are, they really are emotional predators. They're people who, narcissistic personality disorders, any of the cluster B personality disorders can be in there too where they're, what they really weigh are working you at all times to, for their own end. Like mm-hmm. not, they, they look like they care about you, but most of them really can't care about you. They're limited in their capacity and they will use this to manipulate you. So if you have weak boundaries, you can be weak meaning disorder. You can really be fall victim and be very um, appealing to an emotional predator who's looking, you know, they're just like these energy vampires. They just come in, suck you up and spit you out, you know? Interesting. Okay. Just want to throw that word out there. Since we're talking about, you know, personality types. Uh, (laughs) I love it. I have something for your audience though. I created a gift if you guys want more training on this. Yes, please. Okay. Well, you have kind of choices, but I thought maybe the business one, because I've created different, different ones. And after I you know, looked at your thing, was listening to stuff, I was like, hmm, is that the, the one like essential boundaries in business? The things that if you don't create them, and they may, it may seem obvious to people, but I promise you it's not, especially people who are becoming entrepreneurs. So that, that is what I created for you. It's like a 12-minute video and it's like a beautiful downloadable guide. That's amazing. For entrepreneurs. Perfect. We need it. I know. We all need it. Second. <laughs> Everyone needs it. Really hard right now. Uh, I'm going to tell you where to get it. So to go get it, if you want to, it's boundaryboss.me forward slash HTW. Oh, that's so wonderful. Thank you for doing that. Thank you. That's so sweet. I'm just going to, we're going to just put it on loop and have it constantly. (laughs) You're going to listen to it as I go to bed every night and hopefully something will sink in. Oh, you can do it. Listen, you can do it. You can, that, that, that's, that's the, the fact. There, there are steps. It's a method. It's one step, then the next right action. So none of this stuff happens overnight. But anyone who wants to be able to communicate healthily, set boundaries with ease, can learn how to do it. That's my promise to you. It's just like speaking Mandarin. I'm always going to... No, but it's true. I mean, I love that analogy because it's totally true. I think people often hear a lot of these conversations of, you know, here's what you do and here's how easy it is. And it can be frustrating to feel like you're not making progress and chasing your tail. And the reality is that, you know, why would you expect to speak a foreign language overnight? This is also a foreign language. This is just, you know, it's an emotional language. So um, really appreciate that that metaphor um, and, and all of your incredible work. I can't wait to read this book. <laughs> Can Yay. I just ask, sorry, I'm going to do my classic move again, just as we're about to say goodbye and thank you. Sure. Classic. Can I just ask you, because I, I was watching like some of your, some of your footage and 
it just it made me pause. So you're, you're talking a little bit about like asking yourself whether or not you're motivated by fear, right? As though that's a bad thing. <laughs> I guess I just want to know because I, and, and however you tie this to boundaries, but it's sort of like, I see how maybe, pers- you know, more in your personal life, that would be maybe destru- destructive, but in a, you know, in a professional like career, looking through that lens, like, is it necessarily, I would say that fear is like a pretty big motivator for me. And well, fear yeah. of, you know, however you want to frame that, but yes, the word like that feeling is quite motivating for me. Um, and I want to know like why it sounds like a very obvious and silly question, but like, why is that bad? And what, what should, and this is obviously I know some of these answers, but like, what should main motivating force be? Like, is it a universal? Well, let's talk about it. So coming from you, my guess is you have suffered from some form of perfectionism in your life. Am I right? Am I wrong? I don't think so. <laughs> well, what? Erica's Erica. <laughs> like hell yes, hell yes, well, right? 100%, yeah, okay. both of, of us. Yes. No shit. Like I met you for an hour, and I was like, "Hello." So I can feel that vibe. So here's the thing with perfectionism and fear. Fear is a great motivator, meaning it is a powerful motivator, but there's a cost. So, of course, and very successful people, listen, of course, all of us who are actually doing something in the world, of course, there's a sense of fear, but we reframe it. I reframe it, right? It isn't fear, it's anticipatory excitement is what I try to tell myself with like dropping a book, my first book and all that. Of course, there's a part of me that's terrified. I didn't write the book driven by fear, right? So I think that we need to make the distinction between being driven by fear and experiencing fear when you're doing hard things or big things or things that are challenging. Of course, you will experience fear. If, you know, when in my younger life, I, my, my success was driven by a need to prove something to my father, right? Until I got healthier and whatever, when I was in entertainment. So I thought I was born the wrong sex. I had three older sisters. I was his last chance for a boy. He was not, he should have definitely had boys. Anyway, I realized on my therapy, personal therapeutic journey that like, I just thought I was ambitious. I was like, I'm just crushing it. It's amazing. Not realizing that what was really happening is that I was driven by the fear that I was a disappointment to my father. According to my mother, that wasn't true at all. That all happened in my mind. But there's something about, I don't want to spend my whole life being driven by fear. I want to be driven by desire, by purpose, by the things that actually motivate me to create what I create in life. So I think we're, it's really semantics because I think we're really kind of talking about the same thing. I don't expect that you be successful in any way, shape or form and never experience fear. That's not true. If you spend your whole life long being driven by fear, you will be too tired to enjoy any success you ever create. Got it. Okay, thank you. No, that, that, that's, that's a good... Uh... Thank you for clarifying that. That makes total sense. Excellent. This is so fun, you guys. (laughs) So fun. Oh my God. Can you just come over and just keep talking? I find your voice so incredibly soothing too that I'm just like, this is just, it's a nice warm blanket. (laughs) Cozy. All the questions that you wrote but never asked. 
No, I waited to the 11th hour to be like, what do you think about fear? <laughs> well, we might have to do a part two once we, uh, once we read the book and become graduates of the um, Boundary Boss School of Kicking Ass. That is correct. I so appreciate your time that you guys and what you're doing in the world. And just thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me and talking about my, bo- my Boundary Boss book. So that's where people can go get it, boundarybossbook.com. And there'll also be a link where in the free gift where they are, where they can also get it. So awesome and wonderful. Thank you so much, Terry. Thank you, Terry. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Okay, talk soon. Thanks for listening to HTW. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and make sure and rate us on iTunes. You can even give us five whole stars if you think we deserve it. If you have ideas for guests or topics, you can call our 1-800 number. Yes, we have a 1-800 number at 800-674-1839 or holler at us on social at HTW Podcast. You can also head to our website at htwpodcast.com for more episode info and check out our Daily Blend blog to see what we're drinking.